0: Well, very nice to welcome you back to the film school. think It's you. been a few years since you've been here. It and has. You've gone a long way and made some fantastic movies. Thank
1: you. And yeah, yeah, no, it was. It's about ten years ago since I was last here. Right? A
0: bit more. Th- well. No. Yeah.
1: Well, since yeah. I actually walked through the door, it's right. about ten years. Okay. Not yeah, that that matters.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure lots of students have got, l- and our visitors have got lots of questions to ask you. And I guess it's been a little while since you saw the grade of this.
1: Uh, yeah, it's been a few months yeah.
0: now. Yeah, so um, maybe, maybe we could just start by going back to, you know, before we open up to any questions. And if anybody's got any questions, please please indicate. Um, but maybe just go back to a little bit about how you, when you began to get into filmmaking and cinematography. When did you think about start thinking about it?
1: Ooh, that far
0: back. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs>
1: well um, we could go back to this. Um, well, as you know I went to school here and before that I went to uh, University in Bergen and I was dreadfully bored because I studied law and I always liked movies and I thought I'd apply and this is the only place I got in. (laughs) 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 And um, I discovered I liked cameras. Right. That was really the simple Right. Treat of it.
0: Okay, so you came here and you worked a lot on cameras and you got some good experience. And
1: yeah, no and um and I mostly worked as a as a focus puller when mm-hmm. I first started coming mm-hmm. out. Um, and um, I enjoyed that a lot until I didn't get any work as a focus puller for a while. And a friend of mine happened to do commercials in Belgium, which is not an obvious place to go and do commercials, but it happened it happens and they were great and so i was lucky enough to do a few commercials and they were really low budget and i managed to not fuck it up too badly and then i got a few documentary work that i kept working on and uh, slowly that led to meeting more people
0: Mm -hmm. so then you went on to you've you've chosen in your career to work through doing shorts and 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 make that a something you like to work on and and tell us a little bit about how you how you develop through that
1: uh, mostly I think the reason you do shorts is because You can't really find any other work for a while.
0: (laughs) Okay, yeah.
1: And so you just do shorts, you know, because let's face it, it's very difficult to get hired if you only have two little things on your showreel. And they might look great, but people generally tend to want a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So I've ended up doing lots and lots of shorts, um, probably about a hundred of them now. Um, but they're also good fun to do, you know, you get to do something different every time. Mm. And uh, there's always, yeah, a challenge.
0: Okay, so the script of this came through the door. And what what happened, what, you know?
1: Well, it, to call it a script is probably slightly... It is a script, but it's also a very awkward way of reading a script because it was split into two halves. mm mm-hmm. So you had all the words on one side of what was being said mm. in um, in the pre-recordings, and then so on the other side it was exemplified what was going to happen visually.
0: So that was actually on the page?
1: That was actually on the page. Right. Um, so compared to a conventional script, it's very difficult to, well, it t- takes a while to get into it, because you sort of read that, and then you read that, and mm. by the end of it you're not quite sure what you've read. But eventually it became a coherent whole and uh, it, I just thought it was a really fascinating interesting idea to do something like that um, not quite sure how it would turn out obviously because it's not a particularly mined mm. filmmaking technique but uh, I think uh, yeah, together with Clio we worked out something that we felt was worked really well mm.
0: So in your initial discussions about the film, after you got the script, what, what, how, how did you start thinking about it and visualising it? Um, well,
1: we quite early on decided that we wanted to have a very, very shallow depth of field for uh, the interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, one to sort of signify that it was a filmmaking process mm. uh, to show the sort of cinematic idea of it. Um, so out of that, I think we agreed that since you have such an obvious example of cinema, we wanted to make the interviews feel quite natural, as if they were in real spaces. And of course some of them are, but most of them are actually totally recreated with the art department. Yeah. Um, and it felt right to then try and infuse that with you know, um, as much real life as possible. And we also then went the exact opposite way when we had the plays on the arbor itself, where we wanted to, because there were plays, in a way emulate a more documentary style and sense. Mm -hmm. So we shot that with super sixteen zoom lenses and at two K to change that a little bit.
0: So in that post in the uh, sorry, in the pre production phase, you were initially with the director the of the art department already on board for this, or how, how did that work for Well, you? in
1: this particular case, it was a very, very short pre-production period. You know, I think I came on board about two weeks, week and a half mm. before we actually started shooting. So we all <laughs> just got thrown into it and ran out on location records straight away. So it was uh, conversations on buses and minibuses and trains and... Um, slowly you emerge onto something that you feel might be appropriate. Mm.
0: Mm. So, the, so the art department's already set up, the production design department had set up?
1: Yes, they, they'd already, have having to need perhaps more time than we do, mm. um, they'd already started the pre-production mm. period, you know, locations, finding appropriate locations, and um, but a lot of it was also done on the day in terms of dressing and so mm. forth we just were able to have enough bits and bobs and mostly we just took stuff away
0: <laughs> so for, from your point of view what were the sort of what were the decisions you felt in terms of camera that were important for you to
1: well as most people would probably say today that these things are very dictated by money mm. and uh because we wanted this very low depth of field early on, there wasn't really that many choices we could have had in terms of financial issues involved. Um, the red sort of became an obvious choice mm. um, because of the shallow depth of field and the cost implications that mm. it has.
0: Mm.
1: I think you know, if there was the opportunity to shoot on film, that would obviously have been preferred <laughs> choice. But in terms of other digital cameras, the post-production process became too prohibitive financially.
0: Mm. So, as you as you began to get closer to the the, the shooting, how do, how did you work with the director in terms of when you arrived on the set in the morning or in rehearsals or how how, how did that work out?
2: Um, uh,
1: we mostly just sort. Of took it shot by shot, right. in the sense okay. that we had, we had a preliminary idea, an mm-hmm. overall idea of what you'd like to do, you know, and there's a certain amount of arcing, hopefully, going on. Mm. Um, and then from there onwards, I think you just, because it's such a precise process, um, you try and just take it shot by shot, and as long as you have your overall idea in the back of your head, hopefully you won't be making too many mistakes. <laughs>
0: But on the morning, the morning of, of the shooting, you turn up on set. And how d- how did you and the director like to, like to work? You rehearse. Uh, well, or actually, the-
1: a lot of time because they're interview situations. Yeah. We're trying to recreate a documentary situation, mm. but artificially. We usually would line up a shot, mm. and then there'd be a certain amount of rehearsal, very little, and then we'd light it and just shoot the takes we needed. Uh, A lot of that had to do with (coughs) the simple fact that we have very little time, but also secondly, um, because you get the documentary style Mm. idea, um, the shot itself becomes, you know, the frame itself becomes very important. You know, does it work, does it not work? So as in conventional drama, you'd probably block it all out, and then you go, "Let's shoot here." But that didn't feel right to do for us,
0: because hmm. I I didn't I didn't watch it as a documentary, <laughs> <laughs> which is quite interesting, isn't it?
1: Yes, I, I I guess it's we never approach it as a documentary mm. per se, but you have to sort of take the conventions into. Mm. Mm. Equation. So if you make it too dramatic, then in a way wh- the idea of it won't feel appropriate. Mm. Whilst if you make it too documentary, then again you lose some of the intent. Mm.
0: Does anybody, would anybody like to just indicate? Yes, go
2: ahead. Yeah, I'm just wondering how the pro- process of the lip syncing thing worked and how that affected maybe your job with, along with the director in terms, cause it, it, it almost appears like it's almost ADR in reverse where there's a transcribed interview that the actors are having to sync to. And you know, there's an awful lot of sort of monologue length type, you know, sort of interviews there and just how that was achieved?
1: Uh, Well, yes, you're right, it was a monologue. or It was recorded audio. All the audio was recorded first. And uh, all the actors had little earplugs which they lip-synced to, and part of the casting process was actually, you know, can you do this? And it doesn't matter how good you are, if you can't do it, we can't really use you. But Yeah, the first shot of the day, on the first day, was one of those classic moments of what's going on? Because I forgot to put my headphones on. So the actress starts going, and I literally went, "Okay, it's okay." (laughs) Uh, But so all the important people had headphones, um, as in the producer, director, myself, uh, (laughs) while we were shooting. Uh, If not, it got a little bit disturbing. Um, but a lot of that credit must be given you know, to the actors and actresses who, who managed to emulate all those words. Um, some of them did it, they all did it in a different way. You know, some of them did it totally silently and some of them spoke aloud, um, which caused sound department all sorts of nonsense, but that's another story.
0: <coughs> yes, back.
3: It seems to me you managed to achieve something really pictorial um, about very ordinary situations.
1: And I'm just wondering how much you referred to the actual sort of locations that
2: the, the interviewees would have, would have been found in, whether there was a reference to them or whether it w- was a creation with the art department each time you went to an interview.
1: Well, the, um, the art department, well, Clive obviously had interviewed all the, all the people in their original homes. And uh, the art department did actually go around to all these original locations, however, most of them were too small for actual filming um, but in order for it to have um, an authenticity, a lot of it was recreated as much as possible uh, in artificial settings, you know in terms of you know what type of sofa, what type of wallpaper, what type of so I guess it's, as the lip-syncing is uh, an artificiality, so is <laughs> the setting, but it's tried to be as faithful as it could be, without this literally being there. So so were some of those places studios then, or were they actual, actual kind of houses all the time? Uh, n- well, no, we found an old people's home that had been decommissioned, and we just found rooms in those that we could <coughs> utilize to the best um, and it was literally we had very little time to do it so we needed uh, to find a place that yes. was we could recreate several rooms in one space uh, but I guess it equivalent of a studio without building it. <coughs>
4: Alistair. So, uh, uh, why did you want to work on this film?
1: <laughs> why did I want to work yeah. on it? Uh, well, I got the script, and uh, I think I'm always intrigued by unusual situations or unusual ideas, and this obviously is a fairly unusual thing. I also thought the story was very, very gripping. You know, it's uh, it's not sort of faint-hearted, <laughs> and one can say, but... It certainly is about real people and real lives and um I felt it was something that was very interesting to try and emulate and get an emotional response from.
3: Uh, <laughs> am I allowed to follow <laughs> up? Right.
1: Um so your expectations before doing the project and then completing the project, did your did your views about the story about doing it, did it change at all or I think it's very different when you work on a film to, because it's such a continuous process. You know, there's no doubt that when you do something like this during the process of filming it, you know, it, it can be sometimes very emotionally engaging, but once you get into post, you then sit there and, you know, spend a week watching the same images again and again and again, and it perhaps loses the same sense that you had originally.
0: Felix,
5: uh, a bit of an annoying question, so sorry. But um, the scene with in the with the bus, um, which looks fine to me, but w- was there a conversation about crossing the line on the set at all?
1: The bus. Oh, you mean on? Where, you, w- I- in on the arbour, where there's
5: a yeah. the girl on the bus talking. It is, co- it, unless I'm wrong, it's crossing the line, is it not? In the field. Yeah, it, it's, it just, just goes to, to just crosses basically, but which looks fine. I mean, I don't think it's obvious at all, but I, I was wondering if there was a question asked on the set about it, if, if the continuity raised the issue, or if it was a deliberate thing, or...?
1: Um, it was a deliberate thing, as in, we wanted to do that shot, um, and those shots. Um
0: see, he's been trained well, so everything's a deliberate choice. <laughs>
5: <laughs> well, I thought it might be because of the horse, or, or was that, or did, were you played...? No,
1: no, it wasn't, Yeah, you know, the horse was sort of, just happened to be there. Right. Um, <laughs> which was lovely, but uh, we had no control over the horse whatsoever. Um, mostly it's, uh, I, I find the whole crossing the line, it's great if you want to use it as a technique, but it's also highly overrated as in it's problematic if you do, it doesn't, doesn't have to matter. Uh, A lot of the time, it only matters if you are in any real question of what the geography is. And if you're not, then it doesn't really matter whether you do it or not. Um, I think it was a case of wanting to continually keep it flowing and keeping the audience feeling they were part of something that constantly uh, had a bit of energy. As opposed to all the static scenes of the interviews, you know, we kept mixing up the different techniques.
5: So with, with those bits, for the Arbor bits, what was your technique to do? There were some sort of master slash two shots, but mostly it was singles. How did you operate with that? Were there lots of takes that you didn't use, or were you very pared down on what you did because of time?
1: Uh, and, and in what sense? As in,
5: I mean, like, there's. I, I think there's a lot of interesting choices. There's some. There's some uh, conversation which are over the shoulder, but they're from behind. For example, were, were you, did you do those shots, from the from the other side as well, or were you just keeping yourself to doing the one shot from the front and then the ones you behind?
1: No, all all the angles are quite specifically chosen. As in, we didn't shoot it 360, and then they chose oh. it afterwards. You know, every or well not every, but most of the angles are specifically chosen for what we wanted to do. Um, Part of it was again to keep it different from um, the interview situations, some of it was perhaps uh, my own personal idea that I don't really want an audience to feel that they can expect the next shot coming and if you then play around with the conventions of, you know, do you go a bit lower, it's slightly tighter than the reverse, and all those things, then at least as an audience, you're not constantly <coughs> being given the exact same information.
2: Jonathan. Um Yeah, I thought it was really thoughtful and interesting film, and um, really original way to interpret like archive and interview material. I was wondering, I was wanting to know if there was anything you did with the visuals that, that interpreted from any of the archive footage you had. Um, in what sense? Sorry. Visually. Like, was there anything about, I mean, am I correct in thinking that those old, like, Super 8 images we were looking at were from some BBC archive or something?
1: Yeah, so all the, Stock footage is from uh, mostly from a BBC Arena show, which I think I believe was shot on sixteen mm at the time. With the real
2: Andrea Dunbar? Yes, mm. I thought. I mean, it was interesting to watch some of those. Some of those shots were like really nicely done, and like you know, kind of narrative in their own way. And I was just wondering if, like, in the way you shot the, you know, the, the more narrative, you know, interviews, if you like, that, was there anything that that you took from those archives?
1: Well there were certain scenes where we needed connections to be made, um, where we had similar framing or similar, you know, we intercut, uh, there's one shot which is an archive intercut, well superimposed on top of a, a current scene and bits and bobs like that in order to sort of blend in the material to make it as coherent as possible. Um, and I guess the idea would always be, you know, for what we were doing, we couldn't recreate the super six, or the 16mm of the original. But as much as possible, if we can try and do things that allow the audience not to feel like, boom, we're somewhere else constantly, yeah. then that
2: would help the flow of the movie. Yeah, there's, a, there's the nice bit at the end where there's shots of her getting onto the train and then, you know, it's nicely done with the editing too and the sound. Where there's like a shot around the arbor, and then you came back to something, something like that, with the same kind of moving shot to close out the film. Was that something that you had done, and then the editor discovered it, or was well
1: that particular shot was uh, was a, a slight recreation from the original, because there is a shot in in some of the stock footage where there is a traveling shot, you know, shot on sixteen mil. So even though the arbor itself has changed quite a bit, we try to, you know, not recreate it, but give yourself, the audience, a sense of we're in the same space, you know, due to perhaps, hopefully, recognising the same movement and certain aspects of the filming.
3: Thank you.
4: Ben. Um, You mentioned that, um, well, from, from the way you described it, it sounded like you would have, if there had been money, you would have liked to have shot on film enough money to have gone through the process you would have liked to have shot on film. Um, I presume you get a lot of pressure being a DP now to, to want to shoot on digital um, as opposed to film because it makes because of the monetary. But I, I wanted to ask you if you find yourself working in a different way when you shoot on 35. I mean, obviously the, the difference is te- technically, but if, you, um, if, if, if people treat it um, the same way while you're working, um, and 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 if um, and also if you feel that um, you can put up a fight for 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 film uh, 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 for a particular reason and 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 how much power you have at the moment as a DP to be able to sort of press that because it did seem like you you, you you from the way you described that you would have loved to have shot this on film.
1: In terms of how much power in well, just, I, <laughs> I, I, I have f- nothing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but. Uh, you know, of course you can always suggest uh, what you'd like to shoot on and sometimes it's appropriate to shoot digital and sometimes it's appropriate to shoot film and it all. D- lots of the times, especially on the kind of budgets that I've been working on, you don't really have much of an argument because essentially it boils down to cost and uh, also to a certain extent you have to have everybody down the pipeline wanting to do the same thing. Um, it wouldn't really have made sense for us to shoot this on film on the budget we had, you know. um, But obviously, if it had been twice the budget, it would have been great to shoot it on film. Uh, So I'm very happy to do that for what we did. Uh, However, other times, um, you might want to say, I can probably work faster on film than I can on digital, um, which is true. um, But that doesn't mean that you get... choose the material anyway
3: if you did a budget breakdown on that basis I mean you you say you had a very structured script everything had been chosen sounded like your visuals were very organized what would been your kind of shooting ratio um, on that in the end (laughs) did you shoot a lot
1: uh, wow, I don't know, Jason, did we shoot a lot? I don't think we did. I think we did one take. We, uh, we did, we did two, th- two, three takes a couple of times, but we we probably didn't shoot lots, to be honest. I can't. We didn't have time to shoot lots, yeah. to be perfectly honest. yeah, I gotta I'd, I'd
3: kind of work on the basis that digital gets cheaper and more affordable when you're shooting more and more. When you're shooting something like three or four rolls, Four hundred sixty foot, mil rolls equivalent a day, um, it's probably not a lot to choose in the budget. You know, I mean, I, I'm not going to get <laughs> well, into <no>. a <laughs> conversation about <laughs> well, then digital I'll, I'll versus... i my <laughs> next question. <laughs> I think you did a fantastic job. Thank you. I really didn't pick out that you'd shot that on red until um, the very end. Um, and two things, really, the kind of artistic and creative choices you made about... The way you lit it, and the colours, the, the strength of colour, the vibrancy of the images that you created. Um, <coughs> second thing we've seen here, we, we saw the um, Nowhere Boy, um, which was sort of all sunshine in Liverpool. And, and you've got a very vibrant, colourful Bradford. And it's like, um, w- where, where did you go to get to that, as opposed to doing it all as kind of grey as we all kind of think about it?
1: <laughs> well, to be perfectly honest, we just got really lucky with the weather. Uh, we had we had a couple of... We were up in Bradford for, for about three days, uh, I think, three and a half days, and it just so happened that a lot of the time there was sun out, um, and we managed to shoot in that, <coughs> or slight sunshine. We had a slight cloud cover. Um, some of it was... It was uh, late in the year, so you get the more dusky stuff for some of the scenes, you know, which I always favour. So you try and shoot early morning and late afternoon as much as you can. Um, not that that happens all the time, but... You go very, try. Yeah.
3: very full, strong skin tones. Um, and that... I mean, you know, whatever light you've got, you can go strong or weak on the skin tones, can't you, with technical... Um, you know, grading or setting up your camera. the are choices you made there, I would have thought. Did you test for that or...? No, I had no testing on this because we got the camera
1: a day before we started shooting. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, a lot it's of the time it's... Well, <laughs> in this particular case, it was uh, trying to keep uh, as clean a path in the post and the shooting process possible so that, you know... Every step of the way, you knew at what you'd shot on and what the post-process was looking at. So at no point did you feel that there would be any interference with that. Uh, and that's the most important thing, if you haven't got testing or whatever, is that you keep a consistency across the board, which is technical
3: and very boring,
1: but it does mm-hmm. help.
3: So Did you set up menus in the red to um, uh, keep the, the, the contrast <coughs> and the Colors up as opposed to um, setting them down, or did you You're shoot raw and, and do all that in post?
1: But no, most of the time we just uh, monitored with your know, HD color space and gamma space, and managed and just kept that across the board, okay, uh, all the way down to the final grade.
0: And you, we well, made a very good job of it. Yeah. <laughs> Question.
6: Um. Did you look at Rita and Bob too, as well, when you were deciding on styles?
1: I didn't actually, no. I personally don't find that watching other movies is particularly <coughs> useful in the process of you know, when you make, make one or even use the references, even though I know it's a very popular thing. and uh, Sometimes you might just watch other movies for the sake of doing it, but mostly in terms of direct references, I never find it particularly useful.
6: Right, and you didn't use it for the estate either?
1: No, I've never seen Rita Sue and Bob 2, actually.
6: Have you not? Have you not? It's a very um, joyful movie.
1: Yeah, no, uh, I have the DVD, I've just never gotten around to watching
6: right. it. Right. Um, I'm probably way behind the ball on this one, but how come there was an audio archive and interviews? Um, what was the process there that then led to making a film?
1: Well, Clio had been interviewing uh, all the relevant people. But, but and what more. was the
6: what was the trigger for that? I mean, I know that Max Stafford Clark did a play a while ago. I think they played Rita Sue and Bob too, and then a play called The Arbor afterwards, which sort of caught up with the estate afterwards. Max Stafford Clark was, I think, out of joint. Did that? So, was that her trigger point?
1: Well, uh, um, I wouldn't want to answer on behalf of Clio. So. Okay. Uh, it's the exact trigger point I couldn't say. But you know, Clio is from around Bradford and oh, okay. she knew about Andrea Dunbar and was interested in her story. You know, what exactly triggered her <laughs> process of making it into a feature I I don't know.
6: Okay. Well she but she obviously she used she's interviewed Max because he's part of the film so yeah. he must be friendly to the project. Uh, also, George Costigan, who is in Rita Sue Bob 2, plays character in this, which is uh, great.
1: Yeah, no, there was a deliberate intent to try and use as many people as we could uh, that had been involved in um, Andrea's work previously.
6: Um, and there's a wonderful thing that happens in Rita Sue and Bob 2, which we saw little bits of, which is that the people who were on the estate in the balconies kind of are, there's just a couple of characters who are like a Greek chorus and kind of shout down and um, and things and although you didn't really do that you had presumably the local inhabitants watching the reenactment of the play. I'm amazed you were only there for three days. I mean,
1: Yeah, I think it was, well, three and a half. Right. <laughs> it's important, the extra half a day. Wow. And did, you saw,
6: did people behave? I mean, presumably they were quiet and, I mean, was that that sounds like a
1: nightmare, trying to get that done. In the it, it's fine. You know, you get into it. I would hate to use, use the word groove, but I guess you get into a routine, you know. Uh, they all know you're going to come. It's all a bit exciting. I think if we stayed another week, we probably would have had half the camera nicked, and uh, most of us would have been in trouble. But for the three and a half days we were there, it was great, you know. People are really lovely, and they really enjoyed the process. Ob- obviously, there's lots of family members of... Andrea Dunbar, who still loved it, uh, lived there and you know most of those are in the background. Um, and so it, it was a process that felt inclusive, you know, and Clio had worked really, really hard at including as many people as she could. So um, all in all, it was very friendly.
6: Okay, thank you. Um, I just wondered if you
0: knew um, why that decision had been made to use that technique of the actors lip-syncing because I just it just struck me that it might be to protect the family because obviously the material that they're talking about is incredibly intimate and personal I just wondered if you had any idea why that decision was made
1: well there are I mean there's multiple reasons for it Um, (laughs) of course there you're right it's very intimate and um, there are uh, issues with that but also part of it is the idea that, you know, a documentary is never truly objective. You know, as soon as you stick a camera on something, you made a choice. And by having actors lip-sync to original recordings, you ask the audience to actually go, this is your point of view. You know, you have to make up your own mind. Nobody's telling you what's right or what's wrong. And uh, I guess it's a way of allowing the, an audience to be aware of that there are no final truths.
0: No, I thought it was really interesting because it's actually in a way it feels more intimate I think watching the actors doing it weirdly. <laughs> so.
1: Which is great. I don't know how that happens but
0: it's <laughs> it, it's great. Uh, so you we just move away a little bit to what you're doing today you you've since shot at other another feature yes so and, and you're currently waiting to shoot a feature yes so, which we hope will get green-lighted oh, you never know these you days, never know these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so just just tell us a tell it tell us a little bit how it is working as a cinematographer having come out of the school today you've you, you know you've come fantastic movie um documentary or drama what you know but um uh how how is it for you today working out in the industry
1: that's a big question isn't it yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um it's fine i think it's it's mostly you know sometimes it feels really difficult and sometimes it feels really easy and uh mostly it's Hoping that you get offered work that you'd be interested in and that it'll pay the bills (laughs) (laughs)
0: It's two separate things sometimes. Yes, sometimes. Yes, yeah,
1: so But uh, you know, it's always interesting. Uh, Obviously through certain amount of what work I've done previously uh, There is a tendency to offer me other work, which Mm. is quite similar Mm. and that's Sometimes great and sometimes a little bit boring,
0: right? Okay, and the last feature you've just shot is that. What tell tell us tell us a little bit as to what to look forward to in your cinematography.
1: Um. Well, it was it was very different. It's comedy drama, mm-hmm. but it was shot on a red. Right. Um. But we just approached it in a very very different manner.
6: Mm-hmm. To,
1: uh, I guess, lots of the other things I've done. And it was good fun. And I got to spend six weeks in Glasgow. <laughs> Another sunny location. Yeah, we were actually really, really lucky. Right. We had sun for all our exteriors. Right, OK. Um, apart from this last weekend when we had overcast.
0: Right, OK. Can I, can I just ask you a little bit about... I understand your focus pull is in the audience somewhere. Yeah, he's sitting Which over is, there. Yes. <laughs> So I won't ask you, well, how would you get on with your crew? Um, but um, the red, you know, I, d- I know a lot of people are very interested in working with the red, and we. Um, what What's your experience of working with the red? I you've chosen it again, or you got you've got it again as a. I didn't actually choose no, it, but right, okay. <laughs> I did get it. Yes, you got uh, it, and I think it can be great.
1: You know, it does. It certainly does what it says on the tin. Is it gives you very shallow depth of field, like 35mm. It uh, allows you to, with a bit of testing, shoot as if you're shooting film stock. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can do some really lovely things with it. Mm. It's uh, a bit like going back 20 years or maybe even more in film where it has much less latitude and um, you probably have to be more careful. And it's a fairly slow camera. Right. So you just have to approach it in a different manner, mm. uh, and it's very, very tricky with focus, as I'm sure Jason can attest to.
0: <laughs> well, particularly probably when you shoot it. What, what sort of stop are you usually shooting at on the?
1: I don't um, have a favourite. No. It, uh, if you're <laughs> looking for that, but uh, on the Arbor we shot at T two for most of it. Right.
0: right.
1: Um, but I wouldn't recommend anybody to shoot that on a regular basis without having somebody very, very good. Mm. Um, so, it's not quite like shooting T2 on 35mm. Mm.
0: But I think you were, at the, you were here at the film school too? I was, yeah. That's right, okay. Right. Well, welcome back.
4: We've <laughs> known each other since then. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So you begin to work with, when you come out of the film school, you begin to work with who you, you know, you work with here and you you continue that. um. Yeah.
1: I mean, uh, this school is very international. It was even called international when I went here. Mm -hmm. So lots and lots of people I knew then have moved away to their respective countries. Mm. Um, So um, there's not that many people I work with regularly anymore. but it's great in the beginning, you know, to have those contacts, and then now, many years later, you sort of yeah. get talking again.
0: Well, I'm sure there's lots more questions that people would like to ask. But I would suggest that we um, there's some drinks in the coffee bar. Great. And, <laughs> and I suggest we uh, we move into the coffee bar, and I'm sure um, we can continue talking there. But thank you very much for coming. <laughs>